0: All right, well, thank you again. Um, once again, great, uh, great turnout. We have microphones. I know a lot of times people complain uh, in the back that they, can't, that they can't always hear us. So we're going to keep this interactive. So if someone asks a question, I'll just kind of repeat it so it so can go. So um, everybody introduce themselves, but let me do that again. Um, next to me, Jerry Flanagan. Um, known Jerry for a long time. He's the founder and CEO and president of J Dog Junk Removal uh, and Hauling, the nation's only franchise offered exclusively to to veterans. Um, he has founded and built a lot of other businesses prior. Um, Jerry is uh, is is. He's great at, at grassroots marketing and guerrilla marketing and uh, and getting out there enough to launch the brand. I mean, he just really started himself and, and running the business himself and sort of the, the classic way that you think of franchises have, have been built. So he's been franchising now for two and a half years and has over 100 franchises already. So that in and of itself is a phenomenal accomplishment. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, Dana Klein. Dana has a unique blend of being both a franchisor and a franchisee. She also has the distinguished honor of being one of the first panelists of the first PFA we ever really did. Um, so that, so I thank her for joining us again. And uh, she was a former vice president of operations for the Goddard School and former regional operations manager for Systems. So she spent a career on the franchisor side, and now she's flipped over and is a multi-unit owner of Hand and Stone Massage, both here in King of Prussia and, um, and in Haverford. So if you're too full and this is too boring and you need a massage afterwards, <laughs> you can go over. <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right.
0: Um, and, uh, and Mitch Cove also, I've known Mitch for a long time from my, my Rita's days. He was the, uh, the second franchisee in the, in the entire Rita's system. So that is a pretty good claim to fame. So he's been in, in Rita's for a couple of decades now. And um, so he's owned. You've owned the franchise longer than I think the franchisor or any of the franchise You have a longer tenure in that system than anyone, even the uh, the franchisor. So and he's currently the president of the Philadelphia Co-op. So you know when you talk about grassroots and all that, it's a great blend because Mitch is really on the traditional side. So as you see, Rita's is sort of blooming now in spring, and 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 we hear the jingle and you you hear it on the radio. So um, we can. We can thank Mitch for that when it gets stuck yeah. in your head. Of course, Leo, who wrote it, is here as well, so we can thank both of them for that. So as always, as I said, we're, um, we keep this interactive. We'll keep it moving, so if you have questions, please. You know, our topic um, is local store marketing and how to get clients. You know, Ultimately, I think someone, we had did this topic before, had made that com- comment that you know, franchise systems are really just about customer-generating uh, machines, and how do we do that and get more customers and clients Uh, to come so I'll I'll start off Um, Jerry when uh, when you started no one knew the brand I think that's kind of a good way to start you know how do you do that for the new franchiseurs or people how can you
1: sure Uh, my wife Tracy and I started with uh, index cards and magic markers at the pizza shop Um, that's how it actually started I I truly believe that when you first start you got to be careful where you spend your marketing dollars Um, we were fortunate enough to to have something that um, nobody else had a military veteran guy running around the neighborhood trying to pick up junk. Um, people like that idea, so it, I had a different, um, different approach. We we really went ground roots. Um, a lot of door hangers, a lot of lawn signs. Um, I don't think I have any clothes that don't say J dog on it. Um, so if you're going to go into the entrepreneur business or, or buying a franchise, you got to be that brand um, every day, 24/7, and. You know, I've been in this, doing it for six years now since we started the company and I think I'm more of a j-dog now than I've ever been um, just from a marketing standpoint um, so that I think that when you start out you got to be very careful you're not signing big big contracts big media companies um, that's that's my opinion
0: they actually have the mic no it's good So so Dana on that we were talking yesterday about how it has changed, right, from the door hangers and going in the pizza places to social media, how that's kind of the new guerrilla marketing, and maybe you can comment on that.
2: I think um, what's important about marketing today is there are many venues that you should choose, and you shouldn't do any um, exclusively. You you need to combine everything together. But one of the biggest changes that I've seen in my lifetime of franchising is now the event of social um, media and social marketing and the use of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and things that for the life of me, I don't know how to do it all, and thank God my front desk is all under 25 because they're the ones who have taught this all. And it really, you have to look at your clientele, but you know, I think about, I have a 25-year-old son, and unless I learn how to do FaceTime, I actually will never have a conversation with him. Um, so every age bracket has to really learn social media. The thing about social media is that you must be committed to it. You can't just say, I'm gonna do a Facebook ad once, or I'm gonna put something up on on Instagram, or if you're actually doing Twitter, you need to do that every day a couple of times a day. So when you look at social media and everybody gets excited because they think it's free, one, it's not free because it's very time consuming. And I recommend to a lot of people, if you want it to be somewhat free, A great place to go is to the local college. Uh, Look for somebody who's majoring in marketing, who wants an internship, who wants to put on their resume, that they are managing a social media campaign for you. Um, They need direction, but they know things, and they know things before you know things, because they're in tune to everything that's going on. And they... They will work for free. You can pay them if you want. I may pay them with a massage or a facial. Um, but they will help you be committed. And, and it does cost money. I mean, Facebook. you do want to advertise on Facebook. You- but
0: have you seen an ROI? I mean, you've seen that the money you spend, you get it out.
2: Um, Yes, you do, because you're reaching so many people. You usually have to have a call to action. You're not going to know if you have, nobody's going to come and say, hey, I saw you on Facebook, but they are going to say, guess what? I saw that free aromatherapy I'm getting today. The only place I saw that was on Facebook. But you have to make a commitment to it. And I know for me, I was dabbling in it and I didn't see anything. And until I made that commitment to do something on Facebook every day, to do something on Instagram every day, to, we haven't done Twitter because I don't think it's appropriate yet for my business business. Um, But social media and looking at that is taking over a lot of what we do. But it doesn't mean that we still don't do print ads and direct mail and radio and TV. It's a combination of everything. Um, But a lot of people get really gung-ho about social media. But you must make a daily sometimes three times a day, commitment to be able to do an effective social media campaign.
0: So that's a good segue down to uh, talk about radio and the traditional side. Mitch, as president of the co-op, can you kind of give us a quick overview? I mean, you've been in the Rita system, as I mentioned, a long time, and you know there wasn't always a, a co-op there, so can we give us a little backstory? Yeah, Rita's
3: is obviously an established uh, brand that's been around since, well, 84, and then became a franchise in 90, 1990. Um, and over the years, prior to three years ago, all the um, overall marketing and advertising was handled by the franchisor. And unfortunately, through various uh, changes of ownership um, and expansion into outer markets, into other states, the corporate entity started to take their focus off of the core market, which was Philly, Philly in the suburbs. This was going on probably for a good three to five years until a group of franchisees got together and, and said, wait a minute, you know, what about us? You know, where's our marketing? Um, I don't, you know, People don't realize this, but I mean, Philly was dark. We, we had no radio, we had no direct mail, we had no, forget about television. So a group of us got together and like Tom had alluded to, uh, in the franchise uh, agreement, in the franchise document, there was a you know uh, you know discussion. There was a paragraph about forming co-ops. It had never been utilized before, but um, you know uh, a number of uh, local franchisees took advantage of that. We formed the co-op in uh, 2014, and we hired a. Um, a marketing consultant and we, we got buy-in from all the local franchisees and uh, each store at that point uh, agreed to kick in an additional 1% of their sales into this co-op and that enabled us to put together a uh, regional uh, radio program. We were on basically every major radio station throughout our entire season. We were able to do um, outdoor media billboards uh, bus shelters, some of the smaller local boards, and then we did uh, direct mail. And uh, that was the, a well, what what was happening was um, over the I would say for a decade, our transactions and sales were were slipping, and you know the great brand awareness that we had built up was starting to fade, and we had to do something about it. So um, three years ago, we started this co-op, and we we actually were able to. S- s- turned things around. Uh, we saw an increase, uh, a, t- a 10% regional um, increase in our sales, uh, which was great, and that encouraged the franchisees to agree to kick in an, an additional 1%. So now we're at a 2% buy-in, uh, on top of a 2.5% advertising royalty that we're already paying to read as corporate. So um, that 2% enabled us to build um, a million dollar budget for our region, then we added television, more radio, more...
0: more um, and everybody kind of has to vote so that you can't have a free rider. So if the majority goes... It's a majority vote. So it, when you're in a franchise system and that's
3: that's in our uh, co-op bylaws... I lo- it all comes down to good legal documents. <laughs> it, it really does. Good legal documents. So I guess the point is, you know, we're a mature um, brand and we're utilizing, you know, a lot of the, you know, uh, paid media. But... Uh, also, uh, social media is a big part of it, too, and that's that comes with a lesser cost. Question?
2: So, um, did anyone from the franchise company oversee the co-op as far as brand consistency? How did that work? I understand that they were failing you, um, but at the same time, how were you, and maybe because you had been in the Let me repeat so the question. Long, how were you able to make sure that
0: happened? The question was that anyone at the franchisor oversee the um, the co-op, or do they oversee it?
3: Yes, that's a great question. That, we have um, the co-op was formed with the help and oversight of the Rita's Corporate, um, and they helped create the bylaws. And in the bylaws, a representative of Rita's is always at, at meetings, and they're part and parcel. They're involved um, pretty intimately in, in what goes on. So we, we get approval from Rita's for more of the creative end of it. I mean, we can advertise you know, on whatever stations we choose, but from a creative perspective, Rita's Corporate has, um, I'm not gonna say the final say, but they've got some input on that. So they, they are involved, but we're fortunate because because of the early success that our group has had, they've pretty much let us you know, do things uh, the way we see fit. Go ahead. Uh, how hard was it to get everybody involved in the co-op
4: to begin with? And that when new people come to the area, how do you make sure that they join
3: up?
0: Getting um, new people to join up and join to start the co-op. That's a
3: question. Well, it's a great question. Um, we have um, an annual business meeting and we've, we've got um, a lot of communication that is going on all the time. via you know, group e- mass emails and uh, I believe it or not, our marketing agency is very active in engaging with all the franchisees. He, has a, he knows more of the franchisees than any of us do. So he, he makes it a point to go out and visit their stores. And this is a, this, he's paid um, not by us directly, he's paid by the, the media companies. He gets a percentage of whatever he places. So we're not paying him directly. But he, we were lucky because we found somebody that completely bought in to what we were doing, and he's he's you know ingrained himself into our system, and um, he makes it a point to reach out to everyone and then set up meetings with whoever you know would like to meet with him. So we don't force people to join the co-op. Again, it's it's a they have to join obviously because we have one. But but the way Rita's works, it we vote on it every year. So it's not a continuous co-op. And this is pretty unusual, I would think, but. Um, the co-op has a one-year term, so on the anniversary of that term, there'll be a vote of, of all the franchisees that are currently in the system, and as long as we get a majority
0: vote, then the, then the co-op will continue for the next year. And it's by region, so if there's you know out in Atlanta and there's only you know a couple of franchisees, they don't have to be their own co-op. So if you're a brand that's strong in one area, you can have a co-op in one city and not in the other.
3: Yeah, Reader's has, I'm not sure how many territories, but there's probably 20, 25
0: territories. We currently have nine co-ops uh, in the system. So shifting gears. Thanks, Mitch. That was great. Thanks for the, uh, the questions. And keep the questions uh, coming. Um, Jerry, how important on the other side of that versus paid media is earned media, and how has that been, and how have you gotten a lot of that?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know who saw the Jeep when they came in, parked on the snow. That's... <laughs> It's kind of our way of marketing. Um, you know, wrap vehicles to me is a 24 hour day billboard. And we didn't invent it. I mean, we just made it look really cool with the camo. You want to be in everybody's face. Um, you want to be relevant. And I think that um, just understanding your community, making sure that every door that's in your community knows you exist. I think too many people go out there and they look at a business, they look at a giant market and they go, oh, half a million people. Yeah, I got to take, that's not what it is. You can literally build a business around five to 10,000 people that are all within shopping of your area. And I think people miss that. Um, everybody in your market should know you exist. You gotta be relevant every day. And you hit every small business, you hit every, um, every opportunity to have a lunch like this, uh, make sure every customer's talking about you and making sure they're referring you. Uh, customer referrals are, are critical. And I think everyone here can agree to that, but to what degree are they t- talking about how good of your service is? So I think that's, um, that's something you need to continue to, to build on
2: How
0: do you get the franchisees to do that?
1: Well, I think you need to take some of your top franchisees. I'm coming
0: to you with that question next, man. Take some of your
1: top franchisees and have them speak on behalf of of proven systems. Um, You know, we get the same thing in our area. You think that it's a military system. Jerry's the general. He said X. It doesn't work that way. Everybody has their own way of doing it, their own opinion. Um, they all shake their head, yes, in training, and I'm talking about our ops right now. And they go out and they, they want to reinvent the camo, or they want to do things their own way. They want to listen to somebody else. Um, I'm sure everyone in franchising all deals with that. I guess the key is to minimize that. Um, but if you get some top mil- uh, top military, top franchisees in your system, I think that having them you know speak on behalf of the other franchisees because they're kind of on a, or they're on that level, so to speak. We're headquarters corporate. We don't understand what they're going through. Even though Trace and I were the first franchisees for three and a half years, we get it. Um, I just think that you need to lean on um, the other franchisees to be your, your, your voice.
0: Great. Dana, you could, I mean, you've been on both sides of this fence. Could you uh, speak to that? How do you get a program you know is going to work? How do you get franchisees to do it?
2: I, I think uh, very similar to what Jerry said. You have to have your successful franchisees really be um, the people out there um, shouting it from the rooftops that this is the way to do it. On the same thing, as a franchisor, you need to also listen to your top franchisees because the best ideas do come from the franchisees. We can't always say we're in our ivory tower and we know best because we're not anymore living it every day. I'm living it now because I'm a franchisee, but um, and I'm very lucky because the president of the Hand in Stone, when I call, which is very un- that not frequently 'll we'll take my phone call, so that 's a why good he takes thing right. he takes my phone call, but um, you do have to remember that they are living it every day, but having um, the franchisees and we used to have them come in and, and speak to the class we used to um, we also started a mentor system, which I think was really important, um, having some existing we had circle of excellence winners, mentor new franchisees to let them know we 've all been through it, nobody opens up full when I was at Goddard. Only twice did somebody open up full, Um, but it's a learning period, and it's a slower period. And the same thing that you said that I find interesting, because in training, everybody shakes their head. They're really motivated. They're going to go out and do exactly what we told them to do. And then they get out there, and they're like, I want to change the color of this, and I think it should be arranged this way. And so I used to talk in training that you all have wonderful ideas of how to change the system. And when you know the system, you can... Offer me all those ideas, but first you have to know the system before you can make any changes to it. And I think that's the struggle, and I think mentoring them with another franchisee and having Ox really involved from the very, very beginning. At, at uh, Goddard, we had openers who basically lived with those franchisees for the first 90 days because it's the first 90 days you can really steer off track, and it is hard work. And a lot of franchisees don't come from your background of wanting to get out there and, and be gung-ho. You know, They might have had desk jobs. And so it is not second nature to walk into a room and start talking to people and shaking hands. And as a franchisor, you have to recognize that and help develop that skill and that confidence to be able to do it, because it's very scary. Cold calling is really scary. And you not that we're necessarily cold calling, but it could be that way to a franchisee. So you really have to help give them the confidence and develop the skills in them to be able to do that.
0: So on that, just on implementation, you know, or how do you as a franchisee deal with something that you don't think is a good idea?
3: That's a great question. Um, We, unfortunately, we're going through that right now, being a a national, we're we're now expanding nationally and we have stores in California and Texas, Arizona, you name it, we have stores there. And... um, you know, our product, our brand has been successful in our core market and some other markets that are seasonal that have, you know, weathered for four seasons. So, um, you know, going to these markets where the, you know, the sun is shining all the time and it never gets under 70, uh, creates challenges for, for our, a seasonal business like ours. And, um, what happens is early success is not always continuous for these outer markets and they start to struggle. So what do they start to scream about? They want new products, we don't have enough, we wanna sell hot dogs, we wanna sell this, we wanna sell that. Um, and then the franchisor starts to cave in and they start to you know consider that maybe we should expand and, and offer other products, which in, in certain cases that could be a good thing, in other cases it's not. So when we as existing successful franchisees in the core market hear about this, we, um, we reach out and we try to um, meet with the franchisor and shed some light on you know, where we think they may be uh,
0: misstepping. So the real key is communication. I mean, just having, so as franchisors yes. in the room or franchisees, don't be afraid to talk and don't be afraid to listen. Exactly. That's good. Other questions, anybody have any comments? I'll start calling on people soon. Um, <clears throat> how um what for any of you guys who what give me some ideas? We always learn from things that don't go well, so what are some things that you've tried that you thought were oh, this was really going to work, but <laughs> all right, Jerry, your team says you get that one..
1: I guess when you're going to start a business from scratch, you should actually check the weight of the trailer and the vehicle you're supposed to use. I, that's all I want to say about that.
0: All right, Danny, you're up. Any marketing ideas that you've tried that you thought were going to work that didn't?
2: Um, I'm sure I've had plenty of them. I just try to, you know, blank out those failures, those big failures. Um, I, I will say... Um, On on an individual basis, I mean, we've run campaigns that just haven't worked, and you don't know why because you thought it was a a great deal. I know as being in charge of an entire system, um, and Rita's does this really well because everybody knows the first day of spring, it is free water ice, and everybody's on board with that. When I was at Goddard, we had an in-house advertising agency, so we controlled everything. Um, we did all the creative, we placed all the ads we con- we controlled everything about advertising, so we decided um, to have an open house in every market the same time the same day and that was a huge disaster um, because the franchisees just they did it because they had to do it but because they didn't want to do it they didn't put their whole effort into it so for For us trying to do that, and even when we broke it down regionally, it still was tough. One, we didn't have enough operations people to help support those open houses all going on the same time, the same day. And because the franchisees didn't get the buy-in for for what we thought it would bring, it didn't work. So on on a bigger level, that was an issue. But you guys don't have that problem.
3: No, I mean, I don't personally generate you know, marketing ideas, Would they come from either corporate or from um, our marketing local consultant, but some, some of the failures that we, we can, I could talk about are more um, flavor related. You know, every year, you know, because we're not open 12 months, we're, we close in October, we open in February or March, you know, the first question I get is, well, what do you have, what's, what new flavors do you have coming out this year? What's, what's new at Rita's? So over the years, we've had some great winners. We've cotton candy, Swedish fish. Years ago, believe it or not, mango. We didn't start with mango, but mango is now our number one flavor. And those have been huge, hugely successful. Over the last couple of years, you know, we've had uh, Jolly Rancher, Green Apple. Um, this year it's Peeps, and they're coming out with Twizzler. Um, and these are R&D. Um, R and D generated from Rita's corporate that that the franchisees had zero input on, and I'm not, I'm not throwing blame anywhere, but I, I would not have you know rolled those flavors out. If <laughs> it was up to me, but you know th- this is the dynamic with franchisee franchisor. The franchisor sometimes forgets who's out in the field, you know, that interacting with the guests every single day. You know, our franchisor is more um, internally focused, so. Um, for those franchisors out there that that have a product or a service um, obviously when the, in the beginning you're blazing the trail but you know a mature franchise system should really rely on a, a lot of input from the franchisees because you know we're we're the we're the soldiers that are out in the field every day so um yeah, my my experience is more flavor-related. It's a it's a sore spot for me with, with these flavors because I've been through them all, and uh, it's like, are you really making us serve these? When you can't give a flavor away, then you know it's not a winner. That's,
0: that's all I have to say about that. And that's the dynamic, right? Um, so shift gears a little bit, Jerry, how, and I know like, uh, Alex who's doing some sales training on that uh, for you guys I mean how have you how do you get and Danny, you sort of alluded to this that you get people who are afraid you know just talking to a customer who's calling them they feel like that's cold calling so for either of you guys you know how do you deal with the franchisee you know at the end of the day we're all in the marketing business and a lot of franchisors who are founders are great marketers but their franchisees may not have that skill set how do you how do you deal with that
1: well, I think that the the most important thing is communication. You have to constantly pound that same message over and over. That never stops. Um, you're going to get some natural people that will come through the franchise system and you're going to see them go out and execute exactly the way you drew it up. And then you're going to have people that are in phenomenal markets that just can't get out of their own way and you, you just can't get them to do what you asked them to do. So, I, you know, you don't want to turn franchisees down, but I think picking who your franchisee is going to be is really important. I think our first 10 or 20, you know, just send the check and I'll, I'll meet you somewhere. you know that was one of those ideas you know it was so exciting and then um, you know then I, then I joined Julep Grunt Capital and they kind of straightened me out a little bit and then they kind of put some sense to process. so when you start looking at a process and you look at how you should market your markets, I think that um, I think things will improve, but I think in the beginning, if you're an early franchisor, I think you get really excited about someone thinking your idea is pretty cool and they're going to write a check. I think eventually you've got to get it to a system where um, you just got to constantly pound on how to do it and just hope, hope for the best, so to speak.
2: We used to have a saying when I was at Goddard that the um, sales department would sell the dream and the operations department would manage the nightmare. Um, <laughs> uh, right. Um, so I, I think there is um, some important, you know, <clears throat> setting some realistic...
4: writing that down, by
2: the way. You can quote me on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and it is true. At the beginning, it's gosh, they gave me a check. You know, my idea is worthwhile. I mean, when I started with Goddard, there was only eight. When I left, there was 400. So we got to see, we saw the evolution of our franchisees because the EBITDA kept going up and up and up. And you do see a different person Um, when somebody at first is going to make $75,000 as to when I left the event I was $272,000. So you do start seeing a little bit of a different person and you also have to have more money to buy the franchise. And, I find that it was a little bit more difficult when our investment became so high because we were dealing with people who weren't used to working the front lines anymore. You know, I used to say in training, there is no secretary here. There's nobody else that's going to do this. you're, You're gonna have to do it yourself. So I do think it's important to recognize where your franchisee is coming from, what their background is. We, as I was leaving the company, uh, we gave, for whatever, I don't remember what test it was, to all of our franchisees. And we kind of put them in categories, our A, our B, our C, and our, and our D. And we looked... <laughs> And the Ds were, okay, how do we take them out of the system? But we looked really at the A's and the B's and said, what common characteristics did they have that made them so successful? Now, the key was the sales department was now just not allowed to sell franchisees to those people because that wasn't going to ever work. But it allowed us to say, okay, this is where this person is, and this will help us with the training of that person. The operations person they get could be more informed as to, Where I'm going to need to help them because a lot of it goes back to operations. You know, once they get through training, it's really for operations and whatever your system may be. Um, We were very support oriented where I came from in both Nutrisystem and Goddard very, very support. It was all about support because it was all about our franchisees being happy and being happy meant they were making money. Yeah, they were fulfilled. They owned their own business, helping children, losing weight, all that stuff. The bottom line (laughs) is they were making some money, okay? And the way to do that was to really, you know, get in tune that was going to help them. So I I do think you do have to know your franchisee and realize too, as you're your investment may be more money, or maybe you're getting, I don't know, the military, but a general is going to react a lot different, I think, than a, you know, a, a, what's a, a private, right? Uh, okay, uh, whatever.
1: <laughs> in our company, it's a right.
2: <laughs> whatever, whatever that order is, because um, one is better at taking orders, and one's better at giving orders, and I think if you can recognize those people in training, you can help direct your conversation with your operations, through training. We used to pull people aside in training and say, you're having difficulty understanding this idea. Before we go any further, you've got to wrap your head around that you don't get to pick and choose. This is not a Chinese menu system here. It's not A, B, and C. It's, it's A. You know, we, we don't have anything else to choose. And to even recognize that in training um, I, and, and taking them aside, it helps. It helps set the path for where you need to go.
3: So, relating to uh, how to get franchisees to follow you know, the system for, for marketing and advertising. So, in the early years of Rita's franchising, uh, they literally did not have even a full set of manuals. I mean, they had a franchise document and that was it. So, there were no marketing and advertising manuals. Basically, and, and this is amazing, but this was, it. we built it and they came. We didn't. We, I don't even know if I advertised. Maybe a little bit. As the years went by, you know, readers developed their um, operational manuals and marketing manuals. And what ultimately what happened was they really systemized, um, you know, the, the, their view, their way of promoting and advertising the, the business, going out to uh, creating, you know, connections with the community. So how do you get people to buy in? Um but to show show them you know that it's successful to to m- mentor them again with people from operations, from people from the marketing department, fellow franchisees, but in the end, you know you can only lead a horse to, to to the water but you can't make them drink so um again it's you know you're relying on people having bringing in the right Person to be a franchisee and someone that's going to be have the mindset that they're going to follow a system that works, that's successful, um, and that's proven. So um, there, you know, there's really no secret, you know, recipe for making people do things. It's just trying to identify as a franchisor the right people to bring into the system that um, believe in what you're doing. Now, there's always ways to enhance it, but. You know, obviously, it's a success system that's successful, and um, you know the the operational procedures are, and marketing procedures are working. You can always enhance
0: them, but you know you got to follow some sort of discipline there. I'm glad that all of you said basically the same thing about it's who you bring into the system, especially for those new franchisors in the room. And those of you who have worked with me know that I've said that over and over that. That's the most important decision that you can make as a franchisor, and especially as a new franchisor. Those first half a dozen franchisees are gonna set the tone. You have a question. Oh, good. Go ahead. We take a little more level.
4: So we do talk the franchise, more franchisee level, but how about the next level, the employees, and the employees buy-in on the market, just as much as the owner does. You know, in order to be bought in all day long, but then teaching them, they need to do it, and them bought in.
0: great great question question was how do you get the employees of the franchisee even if the owner is buying in how do you coach that owner to get his franchisees to also believe and do stuff
1: well i think you got to give all the franchisees employees the same opportunity um, uh, to grow um, with the system you just can't hire the minimum wage people that have no opportunity they're not going to pay attention they're going to just come in and come out so we recommend pay a little bit more money um, and teach these, you know, teach the employees, you know, how to take that next step to become the next level, whether it's a crew leader or it's a general manager. I think everybody, regardless of what level you hire them at, have to have a, a, a place up. There, there's there's got to be room for growth, no matter what level you bring somebody in. Um, if you're just... Corporate in one corner of the country and they can't you can't relate and you say here's the minimum wage That's the way you make the most profit. It's probably the bad bad way to go I think you got to share in the um, in the success with with everybody
2: Well speak I'll put on my franchisee hat because um, I do have employees and they're they're not minimum wage uh, but they are young um, and uh, It is it is difficult But I think that comes from the fact that I'm there. So I think you have to look at your business and say, do you have owners that are absentee owners and they're having somebody else run their their business? Um, I have more more than one spa. I have managers in both my spas, but I am very visible. I'm there every day. Usually Saturdays and Sundays too, I pop in. They never know when I'm going to show up. I meet, I go to all the staff meetings. Um, everybody knows what the vision is. Uh, what And our vision is, is really being customer-centric. So we really talk a lot about customer service. Um, Hand in Stone does have a voice of the customer program. It is posted in our monthly newsletter. We write about a different section each time, how we can improve it, because it's frustrating to me when I don't see us at the top scores. But I think in that case, you have to look at your own system. If you're an absentee owner, then the person who's there representing you has to buy into the system. Um, If you have a manager who doesn't believe in what you're doing and how you're doing it, then that's the wrong person for the job. Um, You have to get somebody else. So whoever, if you're there, then you should be able to get them as excited as, as, as you are about buying this business and what you do, whether it's massage or giving, you know, vets an opportunity, hauling away junk or, you know, giving people water ice. And there has to be some kind of excitement in it. And maybe on some level, like I know at my spa, there's really not a lot of room for advancement. Um, but, you know, you get them excited about different things and about, you know, where we rank in the company. Is always something big with us? Or, you know, other owners like to come. Like, if I have Howard came to visit me today, I'm like, oh, really important. Howard wants to come see what we're doing. No, he doesn't. He was just picking me up to give me a ride. But my front desk person um, said, oh, he's coming to see what we're doing. (laughs) So, you know, you get them excited about different things and about their importance in your organization and, and, and your role. But, if you're not there, certainly your your manager should have your same vision and passion for it.
3: Yeah, that that's there's that's pretty much says it all. Our, our business, 99% of our staff are teenagers, and they start at minimum wage and opportunity to to make more. But you know, with teenagers, they just like to. Well, a they're there to make a, a few bucks, but you know. I, with us, it's, it's, we're lucky, you know, Rita's is probably one of the better jobs for a young person that there there are. Um, so, you know, they're excited to be there, most of them, not all of them, are excited to be there in the first place. But, you know, making them feel good about themselves and what they're doing and, and that they're appreciated is very important for them, not only to enjoy what they're doing, but to buy into what we're trying to have them do. We have a promotion going on, you know, our frontline people are the kids at the window, so if they're not promoting what we're, what we're doing, then, um, you know, it's not going to be successful. So, you know, we, we have meetings, regular meetings, we talk about you know, what promotions are coming up, but, you know, it, again, it starts with hiring the right person, and, you know, what I tell every you know, person that I interview, and I, I do a lot of the interviews. I can teach you to do pretty much anything that we do, but I can't teach you to smile and be pleasant. And you know, especially in a retail, in any business, you know, making, you know, interacting with people, being able to smile, being able to be pleasant—that's ninety-nine percent of it. Um, so. We're lucky in a way because the kids are generally excited about you know, RITA's and, and what, you know, where they work. So it, it, for us, it's easier to get them to buy into you know, the promotions and the marketing and some of the, the things that we're, we're trying to do. Plus, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll be doing community events where you know, it's a feel good type of thing. And um, you know, we'll invite um, organizations, schools that come in for what we call Celebrity Scoop. So when when you know we have a celebrity scoop that's scheduled, you know we, we talk about it with the staff and we get a, there's a lot of energy a lot of excitement because half the time the school that's coming in is a school that they went to an elementary school that they went to, so um, but ultimately the key is you know bring, having hiring doing a good job hiring of course you you can never know it exactly if you're hiring a great person but um, you know hiring friendly smiley people, that, that's kind of where we begin with our,
0: that process. Great question. Other questions? Um, go. Uh, with all your experiences and lessons
3: learned, what sort of questions are really important to ask if you're thinking about getting into a franchise?
1: So looking at it from a little different angle.
0: Question was, um, with the experience panel up here, if someone's thinking about getting into a franchise, what's a good question for the candidate to be asking?
1: You can go first.
3: Um, give me a list of names of franchisees in your system that I can speak with. That would be the number one place to start. And then of course, you, because they'll be able to give you the honest answers. And I'm not saying franchisors are dishonest, but sometimes they may embellish things, sometimes they may not um, you know, give you the entire answer or the entire picture, but. You know, the franchisees have walked the walk. They, they've gone where you hope to go, and um, you know they could be you know, a great resource for any question that you might have. I don't know if you're looking for specific questions or just where to go.
1: I would say you want the competition. Your franchisor should know who you're competing with and why. what's gonna make you different, what's your competitive advantage. Um, So what makes you special? So I would say, get the list of the competitors in that same industry. They should be open and honest with you and say, here's what I'm doing. Here's the other guys that are doing the same thing. This is why the consumer is going to use me instead of them or buy this versus that.
2: And to add just a third question, because I think those two are are really the, the keys, is I would ask the franchisor, what's the biggest challenge you have in your system?
0: That's good. That's really good. Go ahead, Darren. All right, thanks.
4: Go will have to stand now. Um, <laughs> you can. see So I think everybody's been helpful. And again, it's, it's weird for me because we're uh, starting a new franchise system. So we're the we're the infants in the room, but I've been in business for 25 years, have 18 locations, and everything we've talked about, how to get your managers excited and walk the walk uh, is, is right on. I have My question goes to uh, this gentleman that asked you what's the first thing you would ask a franchisor and uh, Mr. Cove you said uh, to speak to another franchisee that they tell you about walking the walk so I have no franchisees at this point so that's okay but what sparked it is I have potential franchisee that I really like the operator we're a mall-based business they're interested in North Jersey where they're six or seven malls so let's say they sign up they're happy they still new another franchisee comes on, you know, wants to know about the, the system, I send them to franchise one, franchisee one, is there any time where you don't, maybe, you know, again, don't wanna, you're <laughs> not telling them how great it is maybe because you don't want the competition, you wanna be able to expand more, so you don't want a, a new, fran- again, totally different That's way of question. thinking, because I would go right off, right. you know, I would do the same thing if I was opening up a franchisee, I'd, off ten franchises, existing franchisees and ask, um, but I, I'm just thinking: is there ever any of that, especially with Ritas, because you know Brian Woods, my neighbor, so I, um, I know the, I know the Ritas, and there's, and I got another Rita's guy down the street, across the street, across the street. Well, Brian's across the street and, well, from me. D- you and know, Dan. Huh? Dan's there. So, it, you know, if I called you, if one of them called up in the beginning and said, "Well, looking to do wherever," because they're so close, would there ever be in your mind to? not lie and say it's a bad thing, but maybe not want to encourage them
3: so much. I guess that's a cynical approach. <laughs> cynical approach, but um, I guess when character. you're in the, the newness <laughs> of a franchise system, um, you know, they're going to have to rely more on the franchisor and what the franchisor has to say and what, what the franchisor is selling than a, than a franchisee. It's obviously a completely different scenario than a, as opposed to an, a longstanding existing franchisee with many you know right. successful or not successful franchisees um, so they're going to have to rely on on your company
4: so I guess my concern is that because we're not opening up in Florida and Texas we're going to grow very organically organic systematically on our fringes of where we end corporately so franchisees are going to overlap obviously if somebody from Florida called you and said hey his read is Rita's great you're not going to be concerned about it you
3: know so that was the only thing buy it, does, of our I know what they're saying. Right? Well, the key is your, you know, your territory and your your protected territory in the franchise agreement. So, I mean, if that's locks rock solid, then there shouldn't be as many concerns. Like with Rita's, that was a huge. And Joanne can vouch for this. Joanne Hoyer, who was there at the very beginning. Um, I mean, the protected territory was everything, and it was basically a radius around your store. It, it could be a couple blocks, like Center City, or as right. big as large as two and a half miles in the suburbs. Um, people understood that, you know, that we were they were we were comfortable with it, um, and you know, we we had a lot of faith in the franchisor. I mean, I guess it was naivety at the time, but in retrospect, I mean, they were the founders were amazing franchisers that that just. Really grew the business well, and, and we had a good in, in our meetings. We really had a good sense of, you know, where they were coming from, and and um, you know their values, and 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 that you could tell they cared about individual people and the individual success. It was it was genuine and
0: honest. So and that, I, and I would to 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 answer that also to say that a new franchise system, the first franchisee should recognize, because there's a lot of new franchisors, that the first franchisee should say, that's a good thing that another unit's going to open. So, you know, they're going to get that feeling to say, otherwise, you know, from a culture standpoint, you're not building the right culture if they're not feeling the bigger we grow, the more valuable, because it always comes down to selfishness, and you don't want that selfishness to work against you, but that they feel it
1: value that. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add to that is make sure that you do refer all the franchisees you have to new franchisees, even if they left the system. You got to be really transparent and you don't want anybody out there hiding or making up numbers so they look like a good franchisee. So try to limit what they say. It could be positive, but I would definitely not be sending P&Ls out to to people that may want to start their own watch company because they see you. You know, you opened up here and you're not. I understand what the one of the, the question you're asking. So I would say recommend them to talk to franchisees, but I would not get into too many details unless they come through the system and go through a discovery day and you really understand it. And then they'll still knock you off. We have, we've got some guys out there that have done that already. So, yeah. They're not as good as you though, That's
2: right.
4: <laughs> Question? No, not question. I just want to comment. I do a lot of validation for franchisees calling for our system, uh, for our franchise locations around the country. There's 160 in our group, and I find that um, Owners in the group, you know, are just like any general population. There's some cynics in there that might speak a little more candidly. There's some people that are having a bad day, um, and so the question that I always, uh, that I appreciate the most, and I think is the most important, is when they ask me if I would do it again. And I think that's the question you want to answer. You can't tell them what to say. You can't tell a right. hundred and sixty people, but ultimately the answer will come out, even with the frustrated people, um, that they would. Most likely still do it. They just are, Sorry, don't know enough to discount the, the frustrations of the day. Uh, and I think that happens a lot. So if you get your uh universe and your franchises or a place where you're really truly content, then the answer to that question will be
0: So that's good so that was for those who didn't hear that without the microphone the back to the question of what should someone exploring franchising ask is would you do it again and then I would say if you're a franchisor, maybe that's a question you should ask your franchisees at a certain point too and that'll really that'll you'll find out also are you are you up to to snuff of doing that so great 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 comments there you go (laughs) Um, all right perfect we're planning now um. So, we're going to, you know, I promise to always get you out at, uh, at 2 o'clock here, so we're going to go through one more question, and then um, I always ask this question here, I'll start here with Jerry, is that, um, as you've been on this before, is that if you were to boil this whole conversation down to the one thing, right, I always think when you come to a lot of these meetings, you walk away with like one idea or one thing, so if there's one thing you want people to leave with from local marketing, what would it be?
1: Yeah, I would say you've got to get your community working with you, and you've got to market every single day. If you're not wearing your brand, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, Everything you do should be revolved around the business for for a lot of years. Um, If you're going to sign up to be a franchisor or even a franchisee and own a business, it's a a seven-day-a-week job. That's what I want to say.
2: So I definitely agree. It's a seven day a week job. I don't wear my brand because it doesn't come in Chanel. So um, I'm honest. I won't wear a name tag either. Um, But when it comes to local or it comes to marketing in general, don't eliminate any idea. Um, No ideas too old fashioned like a good old direct mail campaign and no ideas to out there, like now going on Instagram and Twitter and whatever else may be new. So don't eliminate anything and realize the ROI is different. It's whether you're looking for brand awareness or you're looking for a direct impact from that particular marketing campaign. You have to weigh things a little bit differently, but don't eliminate anything and adjust your expectations for what you do.
3: I think the, the key element is consistency, and continuity, and stick with the messaging. Don't um, you know, run a program for like a month or two and then you know, move on. Um, you want to build your brand. You want to build your name. You want to build your awareness.
0: Um, so consistency, continuity, and um, stick with it fantastic that was great um we have so thank you guys very much um a couple housekeeping notes as i I always mention i usually mention it before i'm going to send an email out to everybody with everybody's contact information so that you'll know if you want to opt out of that uh just let nicole know and thank you nicole well done organizing this today Uh, just let nicole know of course then i would beg the question why did you come to a networking event if you want to opt out of the list? But that's more of a personal decision. Um, so we have, uh, we have the room for another half hour if we want to continue to network. And uh, one more time, thank you so much to the panel. Great
2: job. Well done.
0: Thanks. Thank you guys.